Well, good morning. Welcome to worship this morning. Today is the final Sunday of Advent, which means uh, for us this year that Christmas is one week from today. And uh, that uh, some of you, you're like your blood pressure started to raise as I said that. Our goal today is to be ready for that as it has been the last few weeks as we do each year in Advent uh, so that we can stand here. Some of us probably the next time we will be together, it might be in this room uh, with a candle uh, proclaiming that the light has come into the world and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Our goal is to be ready for that reality. Our goal today and in the weeks leading up to that moment is for us to be prepared to live and, uh, and, and, and find ourselves living into the truth that, that that's real. Uh, so that's what, what I hope we'll be able to do today as we, as we not only prepare for Christmas, but the goal is so that we can participate in Christmas. And not just in the week ahead, but, but all the time. And as we know, there are a lot of obstacles to being able to participate in Christmas. Some of, it, some of those are obstacles in our heads. Some of those are relational challenges. Some of it is just the craziness of all the things that we are determined to do for some reason or another that can become in themselves uh, a, a way that we get pulled out of being present in the moment and participating fully in the truth. Uh, and so that's why we do Advent. Advent is our training course. To, to be ready to live in a world that has God in it. And the traditional themes of Advent are like the, the chapters in the training manual. What is it like to live in a world with God in it? Well, let's talk about hope. Let's, let's talk about always staying open to possibility. And then there's a whole chapter on love, we, and we, we spent some time there, right? Because, like, kind of that's what it's all about. And that's what the whole story comes down to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then there's a whole chapter on joy, which is the surprise for us, and yet another reminder that all the celebrations and the, the, the decorations and the feastings and the gatherings are simply for us a reenactment of a story, uh, a reenactment of angels that go up into heaven and start singing and uh, and shepherds who go to the manger and gawk and magi who make a journey to stand in awe. Advent is our training course to be ready to participate in the thing that we announce. And we want to be ready and we struggle to be ready. And so today in our final theme of Advent, um, we're going we're gonna to veer off the traditional um, topics. Maybe it's because we just can't leave good enough alone, uh, or maybe there's a reason. You get to decide at the end. You can decide uh, if it was worth th this little excursion or not. But traditionally, uh, our theme is, is peace this Sunday. And today, well, I want to talk to you about something else that kind of gets to peace, but is pretty foundational. Uh, and that word is faith, as you heard in the Advent reading today. Someone came to me who was one of our readers for 815, uh, said, uh, we're confused. It's not the right word. And, um, and, and so, uh, yeah. You're right. It's not the, the right word. It's a different word. But I wanted to, to talk about faith today. The reason we chose that word is so that we can ask an obvious and very important question, specifically today, ahead of the, the, the big deal, ahead of the presence, ahead of the hoopla, ahead of the, you know, the moment where it kind of shifts into sentimental and warm and cozy and fuzzy, and like you say the things, and maybe you know what they mean, or, or maybe you believe them or you don't, but you sort of get swept into it. Today is a good day to say, 
uh, let's talk about having faith in this story being real, really to ask this question, what would it mean to really believe, really trust, really live into, really have faith that the thing that we're about to announce is actually true? What would it be like to live in faith that we have a world with God in it, as we've been saying in this series, a with us God, which is not just about the world. It's also about the kind of God that would come into the world. It's both. What kind of God is that? And what kind of world is it? Because we can sort of in the story kind of get caught up in it and in the sentimentality kind of say some things and we wonder like, is the world really that great? Like, okay, so God is with us, Emmanuel, yes, but also we see how things are. So what about that? Well, fortunately, as we've been doing in this series, never, we've never done this before, we're taking the story of Jesus and the birth of Christ, and we're also taking the stories of Jesus, the parables that help us understand the world that he taught, and we're putting those together. And today is a, a perfect example of that in the stories that Brian read to us as we talk about the kind of world that we have with God in it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes to his, his field and sows good seeds. And then in the middle of the night, an enemy comes in and sows a bunch of weed seeds. And there's kind of some, some humor in there in the, the world of people who grew stuff and some of you who, who grow stuff. You kind of know how it is. It may be that an enemy comes in the middle of the night and sows the, the seeds of weeds, but it sure feels like that, right? Like, it, like they always just keep popping up. So I, I Googled this. Uh, by the way, if you Google weed seeds, um, it comes up with something else that you might not have expected. Mm. Uh, anyway, um, so I had to do a little searching and got myself through a lot of other websites to the University of Oregon Extension Service. And it said, okay, here's the deal with weeds. There are two problems. One is the volume of seeds that the plants produce. So uh, a, a, a common weed like lamb's quarter can produce in one plant half a million seeds. Whew, that's a lot of seeds, right? So that, that's part of the problem. The other problem is longevity. Some of those seeds will last a little while, but some of them will last a long time. And there were some mustard seeds, which is ironically you know, the other parable that we're getting to in a second. Uh, mustard seeds that were kept in a monastery in Denmark. They found them and dated them. They were 600 years old and they planted them and 11 of them grew. So you've got longevity and you've got volume. It's a problem. It may seem like the enemy gets into your garden and sows weed seeds, maybe so, it's kind of funny, but that's what happens here. Here's the problem with, with this scenario as Jesus sets it up. The weed, the weeds and the wheat look a lot alike. As they grow up, you kind of can't tell the difference. Everybody, anybody who's garden knows that if you get in there and get the weeds while they're young and small, it's not a big deal, but they've grown up for a while now, and now you can't tell the difference. And that sets up the tension. How do you know? And that metaphor uh, can apply to a lot of life. Like, stuff grows up. We don't always know the good from the bad. Sometimes things go along for a while, and then we realize, okay, Houston, we have a problem. We kind of don't know how to navigate those realities. Sometimes it takes a while for things to play out. Is this the right decision? You go along a little while, and okay, that was the right decision. Or you go along a little while and realize, wow, that was a disaster. It happens in our relationships. It happens as a reality of the world that we live in, that both things grow up. And we don't always know how to distinguish, or we might say in spiritual language, discern. 
what's good and what's bad. That's the scenario. The servants realize this has happened. They come to the master and they're like, okay, we've got a problem. We've got weeds and we got wheat and we don't know what to do. Should we pull up the weeds? And the master says, no, because here's the problem. Now it's gone on so long. If you do, it's going to disrupt everything and we're going to get nothing. So I don't know, uh, that, you know, parables don't have to follow uh, like wonderful agricultural practices because, you know, this is like not, maybe not how you would do it. But the master says, we're just going to let them both grow. And, and here's why the story does that, why Jesus tells the story this way. Because what happens is eventually the thing that wasn't so clear at the beginning becomes abundantly clear at the end. Like what looked similar as it played out over time looks completely different. There is clearly wheat and there is clearly weeds and it's going to show itself. And so what we're going to do is going to let them grow up and then when it's harvest time, we're going to pull them all up. And then we're going to sort them out. We're going to put the good over here, and we're going to put the bad over there. Well, there's so much about this story that rings true of our experience and of the Christmas story, that we live in a world that is like that. And we all could tell stories. Frederick Buechner has said, and I've, I've quoted this many times in, in, in my life and thought of it many times in my life, welcome to the world, he says to us. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I feel like that is a more honest explanation of the world that we announce and the, the, the with us God announcement. This is the world that we live in. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And it's not just in the world, is it? It's in our, it's in our families. And it's in our own hearts. And it's in the church. Sometimes we think, man, the church should be different and we wish that it was, but then people keep showing up, and so, it, you know, so weeds keep showing up in our lives and in the church. And so what? What do we do? Do we just give up on a world with any hope or any sort of possibility for good or joy? Is this a call to give in and a call to inactivity and resignation? It's not. It's not like the, the, master, the, the servants come to the master and say, hey, listen, it's all weeds, Right? We just got to throw up our hands. It's done. We got to plow it under. This world's done. It's all weeds, 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 weeds. All we see is bad. No, no. It's just that there's a mix, and that's the problem. That's the problem for all of us. It's, it's all mixed up, and we've got to navigate that. This is an honest, I think, view of our reality. And so what is faith in the midst of that unsorted, mixed-up world? that we live in. What is faith? Well, in part, it's trusting that God is the one who does the sorting. And, that's, and that things do get sorted out. And we don't have to know how that's going to work. And we don't have to be in charge of that. But it's not as if we start calling good things bad and bad things good. No, the world gets sorted. And this is God's doing. And we can trust that. And that is a theme in several of the stories of Jesus. We're going to see this for this parable and, and the, the second one, which is short. But sorting is a part of, uh, of the mix in the stories of Jesus. He tells a story of a, a fisherman who has a, a net, gets a, a big catch of fish, and uh, some of the fish are tasty fish, and some of the fish are nasty fish. And so you don't want to eat all of them, so you've got to sort it out. And he says the kingdom of heaven is like that. It gets sorted we, there's a more famous example in Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about the, the sheep and the goats. And 
as people as it plays out, the people who are able to care for the poor and look after the powerless, those are the folk. It gets weeded out, and the thing that looks powerful may not be so powerful in the sorting. But the point is that there's a time when God will sort things out. So faith in this context is just simply living in the, the reality of the mix and not giving up in the meantime. It's not becoming discouraged and disillusioned every time those pesky weeds keep popping up in life. Faith is living authentically in the meantime, in the mixed time, knowing that evil is temporary. Let me say that again because it's important. Evil is temporary. It's part of the, the mix, but it is not is not permanent. And so faith is always about some version of that, living in the mixed reality. It's raising our kids and deciding to bring kids into the world, knowing that the world is going to be beautiful and terrible at the same time. And then helping them navigate that world, knowing full well that there are parts of it that we haven't even experienced and realities that we don't know how to deal with. And deciding that we're going to find our way through it and to do so as much as possible without fear and anxiety creeping in and driving the show as we think about launching our kids into the world. Living in this mixed reality means doing business with integrity and authenticity when we watch people around us do their business on a different set of rules. Wanting the best for all parties involved when others at the, at the same time will do business looking out for themselves and cut corners and get ahead. Reminding ourselves, no, this all gets sorted out and we don't have to figure it all out. We just need to be who we're called to be. Faith is loving and then losing and then loving and losing and living in both realities because love inevitably leads to loss, doesn't it? That grief is really just a part of what it means to love in a world that has both good and bad at the same time. And you know what we often do in that mixed reality is just sort of tone down both extremes and find ourselves in the mediocre middle, right? We don't want to feel too much loss, and so we also don't feel too much joy, and we kind of tamp it down, and we find ourselves just kind of muddling through life. What does faith mean in a mixed, unsorted world? Well, it means that we've got to do both extremes, and we might as well give ourselves to them fully, if we're going to love, then we're going to grieve. And there's no way to just get over that, and there's no way to just, you know, kind of tamp it down. It is going to be, and there will be times in our lives where that calls forth something that we don't know that we have. And there will be times when we will be asked not to be as happy as we need to, want to be, and not find joy, and not, like, and, and tamp that down too. It's like we don't have much on either extreme, so we have this mediocre middle. Faith means navigating a world that has both and doing both, sometimes at the same time, joy and loss, hope and fear, already and not yet. And that unsorted reality in the, is the world in which Christ was born. This is good news for us. It is the world of the characters of the Christmas story. Let's think about some of those characters. Zechariah and Elizabeth who in Matthew's gospel represent the faithfulness of Israel, the story of God and the people of Israel, the hopes of a Messiah. These are the faithful of the faithful. And yet at the same time, they're infertile. It's a mixed 
It's a mixed bag. Joseph, who wanted to be a good guy, but at the beginning didn't even imagine a scenario in which he was also the father of Mary's baby. Mary, with the road before her, certainly uncertain. A purpose offered up to her that would stretch her, her imagination, and her trust. You have in the story of the Magi this mixed bag. You have these people who have journeyed from afar to see the Christ child and also the king who wants to kill him. It's both things going on at the same time. It is Israel who has anticipated its Messiah amid foreign occupation and geopolitical powerlessness. And here's the thing. It doesn't just all get sorted out when Jesus comes into the scene, onto the scene and into the world, does it? That's not the story that we tell at Christmas, that, okay, God is with us, poof, magic, ta-da, it's all solved. All of that continues to play out. As Hebrews will say, like, these people of faith died before they received what they had promised. What it's pointing to is this mixed bag that we live in, this dual reality that we navigate. And so what was faith to those people in the Christmas story? What did faith look like for them as they navigated an unsorted world? Well, let's talk about what it didn't mean, because sometimes we get confused about these things, I think. It doesn't mean, as we said earlier, that everything got sorted out when Jesus came. No, they lived and died in those realities. And it doesn't mean that faith meant that everything was certain, like well, they, had, they, they just, like, somehow they had it all figured out in their heads, and then it all made sense, and that as long as they believed those things and didn't waver, then they were fine. But that wasn't the story at all, was it? That's sometimes what we say about faith, right? Some of us were raised in traditions that that's what faith was. It was actually a mental assent to a correct doctrine, and as long as you believed it right, you were good. But is that the story of the Bible and the people of the Bible? Think about how doubt and uncertainty were just part and parcel of their stories. Zechariah, back to that story, who simply could not believe that his wife was going to have a baby because she was so old. And there's this whole deal, if you read the story, where like, they, they say, you know what, you're just going to not talk until the baby's born, and we're just going to show you, Zechariah, that you need to have more faith in this thing. And they named him John, and that's, he's, he, he, when they name him is when he's able to speak again. It's, it's, it's kind of a mess, isn't it? You have Zechariah, who couldn't believe that his wife was going to have a baby. You have Joseph, who couldn't believe that his wife was going to have a baby. And couldn't imagine a scenario. It took God working in him to work out a scenario in which he would be, even be part of the story. Mary, who's a original response to God as she hears the deal is, how can this be? Could it be that doubt is just part of the deal, uncertainty is part of the deal, and that we should be okay with that? That doubt is not the opposite of faith, as we sometimes say that it is. But that, in fact, doubt is part of the process by which faith is deepened and trust is clarified in how God works in us. Some of us were taught that faith was about agreeing with beliefs and never doubting. But I don't think that's the story of Scripture. It's not the world of the Bible. 
and then faith becomes, allows faith to become something that's more than just something that we say in our heads but don't know how to live out with our hands and in our hearts. Faith is more of a participation in the story. We just keep offering ourselves up even when we don't know. Okay, well, may it be to me as you have said, Mary says. I love how Richard Rohr talks about faith. Let's put it on the screen. He says, faith isn't a rational assent to mental beliefs, but it is a calm and hopeful trust that God is here and that this whole thing is going someplace good. How about that as a definition of faith? And that is part of the story of a with us God. Depending on how you sort them, there are over 300 prophecies that relate to the coming of a savior for Israel. And most of them set the expectation of a world-altering leader who would bring real peace, lasting peace, who would reset the course of human history, who would set in motion the forces that would reestablish God's reign through God's presence on earth. In other words, there's nothing in that that tamps down the hope and the joy and the expectation. In a mixed world, yes, there's the, the, the hard stuff, but there's this incredible other thing going on at the same time. And the key is to find our focus there and live out of that truth, even when the weeds keep popping up. Jesus himself didn't downplay those claims. In fact, as he begins his ministry, he quotes one of these prophets of Israel, Isaiah, from Isaiah 61. And so in Luke 4, we find Jesus taking on those expectations in himself as he says, the spirit of the Lord, the sovereign Lord is on me and he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then that's where Luke stops, by the way. But we imagine that, that Jesus was drawing on all of Isaiah 61, which says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the sorting of our God. That day that is coming when it all gets sorted out. And to comfort those who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty for their ashes. And the oil of joy for their mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of of his splendor. This has been called the divine exchange, and it is part of God's work in a mixed-up world in which there is both beauty and ashes. There is both oil for joy and also mourning. Praise instead of despair. Jesus says, yes, I know, but here's the part that you get. There is a path to these things in the story. This week was the 10-year anniversary of the Sandy Hook shootings, um, you, you may have heard, in which 26 people, mostly children, were shot and killed. I got looking uh, through my notes. I remember that we had probably talked about that in, in worship, in the sermon, when that happened. So I went through my notes and I found where, uh, where that was the case. And I remembered a story that I had forgotten was reminded of the story of the teacher, Caitlin Roig, who huddled in her, her closet with her first grade classroom, telling her students that she loved them and that their parents loved them. 
and that their families loved them. And then she said, this was why. Because I didn't want the last thing those children heard to be words of fear or hate. I think there's something in that story, that extreme example of what it means to live in a mixed up world. To be people who aren't so disillusioned by the ugliness that we don't find ways to bring beauty right into the middle of it. And not to be so overwhelmed that we give up in some way. Faith is not having it figured out and having certainty that it's going to work out. It is simply participating in those realities and kind of shifting the dial again and again to the good. And it is a reminder that that good, the seeds of that good, have already been planted by God himself. And that's why we picked the second parable today. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is hidden in the ground. And the way that is is translated helps us understand what he means, that there is, uh, this is something that's small and is hidden. The kingdom of heaven is small and hidden, which is not how people understood, and still today, how we understand kingdoms at all, right? Kingdoms, we know, are big and they're bold. They, 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 they use power, they take names, the same thing Martha talked about. Our expectation over and over again is for something that will come in and set it right somehow in a forceful way that we will know that it is done and there's no question and people will be shocked and awed. But Jesus actually tells three stories here too about how the kingdom is hidden and how it's small and how we shouldn't be surprised by how that kingdom plays out. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like first yeast that's hidden in a loaf. Well, that's kind of funny, isn't it? If you're going to hide your yeast somewhere and you hide it in the dough, what's going to happen? You're going to get bread, right? There's an inevitability to it. And that inevitability plays out in the other two stories. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a pearl hidden in a field. In fact, someone finds the, the, the pearl, buries it again, and then goes buys the field because there is an inevitability to, like, okay, this is the thing. And when I get that field, I get the treasure, even though it's hidden. And then he said the kingdom of heaven in this story, as we heard this morning, is like little mustard seeds hidden in the ground. Well, if you're going to hide seeds somewhere, if you put them in the ground, that's not hiding them, is it? It's planting them. So take these little bitty mustard seeds and hide them in the ground, and this amazing thing happens they start to grow. And they don't just grow a little bit, but they grow a lot of bit. And they get big, and the birds of the air come and, 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 and roost in their branches. This is a point of hope for us. We hear it in the Christmas story. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Like little mustard seeds hidden in the dirt, the seeds start to grow, small and hidden at first, but there is an inevitability to this thing. It's going to grow into something unexpected. And this is the story that we tell at Christmas, too, that Jesus, this seed planted in a manger in Bethlehem, sows something into the world that is growing. And so this is a point of hope for us, really the foundation of our faith, that God is doing this thing. And it may be small, and it may be hidden, but it's also inevitable. 
we not only have faith in Christ, but we have the faith of Christ who did this on our behalf. He was the small seed of all that is right and good, and he was planted right among us. And this is faith, not that we will sort it all out in our lifetime. Not that you're going to get it all sorted out. You're always going to live in that mixed, unsorted reality. But hear the good news. It will be sorted. And this will be God's doing for you and for us and for the world. And this is faith, that the seeds of that sorting have already been planted and they are already growing all around us. In the announcement that God is with us and that this whole thing is going someplace. Good. Let's pray together. God, we confess that we struggle to have faith in the very thing that we even say that we believe and in the thing that we announce. We confess that there is confusion and doubt in each one of us as we tell the story of a, of a God who's with us. But those fears and those doubts and those uncertainties are not an obstacle to you. And I think you'd, you're, you're much less interested in us getting it all figured out and finding peace through some answer or a, a doctrine or a mental assent to something that we believe. I think what you're looking for is people who are open to participate in the reality of it all who will walk their lives out in this journey of faith, in the adventure that becomes finding our way through all of it. So would you help us in those questions, in those doubts? Will you help us to see the seeds that are planted around us that are growing? Would you help us to see in this small and hidden Savior the very hope of the world that continues to this very day? And in those places of our weakness and, and the places of our fear and doubt, would you comfort us? Would those in themselves be a chance to deepen our faith and to trust, to find the unexpected joy along the way? May we be like those who, in the Christmas story, lived into that story and were amazed about your presence in it and amazed at what you did. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.